This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. One of these days, I will master the ability to complete a sentence. Scott Owen. Right, what would I know? I'm just the weekend host around here. And Adam Pace. Look, I think of what other choice you have. Starting now. It was nice to be back out at the football on Sunday. Unfortunately, the results weren't quite up to scratch for the Raw's A-League men's side. Hello, everyone. It's time for another edition of the Brisbane Football Review. It is James Scott and Adam with you again on this Wednesday. And we've got a very special edition of the show because not only will we be discussing the Raw's fortunes across the A-League competitions, but also we're going to have a couple of special guests to discuss the upcoming Socceroos World Cup qualifiers, which are, without overstating it, Adam, kind of important. Yeah, good to join you boys on this public holiday. But yeah, look, uh, it's uh, national teams getting you know, a massive run at the moment with the Matildas and Socceroos. But first, we've got to deal with uh, the local stuff as far as the A-League. And yes, we should welcome in the Brisbane Football Review's own uh, ray of sunshine. Scott, how are you going? And let's talk about the Socceroos. <laughs> Honestly, How are you, James? Good. I honestly thought you were going to want to talk about the uh, tennis or possibly the NFL playoffs. Don't oh, don't start me on the NFL playoffs. Oh, my goodness. I've got the tennis on, though. Anyway. Yes. Okay. Well, the NFL playoffs was a lot of fun this weekend. Yeah, much they were more fun, a lot of fun. But much more fun than the weekend before for me. Anyway. I'm this not is... thrilled with the teams that were left in the competition, but anyway. Yeah. Well, we'll save that for the uh, Brisbane NFL playoffs review. In the meantime... This is the Brisbane Football Review on Clutch Radio. I'm very pleased to be bringing you the show once again in conjunction with, well, the three of us. Now, uh, we'll do our usual plugs before we get into the action. Email brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. Send any comments, questions, uh, stories, discussion points, whatever. We're always open to uh, listener feedback. Facebook is The Raw Review. Twitter at BNE Football. On there you can find live coverage of every uh, senior Brisbane Raw match across the men's and women's and select National Premier League's games as Scott and Adam continue to toil away uh, for some very impressive uh, work. In the And then finally, uh, I've got to do the podcast plugs. That's right, I did remember. Uh, you can catch our podcast on the A-League Live app. Um, you can also catch it on Wooshka, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, not iTunes apparently, and also uh, several other good podcast platforms. Leave a rating and a review because apparently that's helpful. Go figure. Anyway, we do have two Raw men's games to recap, so we'll get into that as well. As Scott, um, wasn't a great uh, weekend, but at least on Wednesday night, the Raw managed to get up over Perth Glory, who were playing their first match in what felt like an eternity. Yes, they got their first win of the A-League men's season on Wednesday night. A 1-0 win over Perth Glory. Late goal from Henry Horan. The first five minutes was pretty sharp from the Raw, but once Glory got their feet underneath them, although they've been out for a very long time, as you mentioned, once they got their feet underneath them, it was a very even match, wasn't it? And it wasn't until the, the midway through the second half when it was very, very clear that some pre-programming was going on with Perth, given that they made, I think, three changes right on the hour, and they made, took off another couple of key players as well, that they were clearly building, they weren't fully ready yet, and they were building and their legs were going, and then the Raw got over the top of them, but for about 60 minutes in that game, it was very, very, it was very, it was important for the Raw to get the win, wasn't it? They needed to get, they had three games in a row at home to kickstart the season, and they ticked the first box, and they played pretty well to get the win, but Glory were also quite good, as we saw later on in the weekend, they did well away to Sydney, so they're building something quite nice, so it might be a good result for the Raw. It was, it was a very good uh, win for the Raw. They had to battle, and it did take a little bit of uh, good fortune, I think, after what had been a fair level of frustration between the uh, clubs as well, as Jonathan Aspro basically single-handedly stood between the Raw and the goal at certain points, Adam. Yeah, look, um, defensively, I think both sides have been quite satisfied. Like, obviously, Perth coming off the uh, a long break, 42 days, between uh, competitive fixtures. So I think while they ran out of legs in the end, and they'll sort of, you know, Raw were good enough to finally you know, find that breakthrough, uh, both both sides, you know, defensively were fairly solid, but just uh, lacked uh, something in attack. But also as well, both Macklin Freak and um, Macklin Freak and uh, Cameron Cook for Cook. For, uh, for the respective goalkeepers, I thought had pretty good games. 
Yeah, they absolutely did. And uh, it was more of the same from the Raw as well, where you could see what they were trying to build, but just that sharpness was still lacking overall, Scott. Yeah, it was. Again, it was three games in seven days at that point for the Raw as well, so heavy legs was certainly an issue for them. But it did, well, would you rather heavy legs, James, or having not played for 40-odd days? I, I I was, would, in that yeah. first game, I almost reckon you'd be better off having not played for 40 days than three and seven. Yeah, and that is going to be the dilemma that a lot of these clubs are going to face over the next few weeks, where you do have uh, you know, the long breaks, which means you know at least you'll be fresh from the start, if possibly a little bit rusty. But yeah, conversely, you are also going to you know, be facing sides that probably have been trying to play a fair few catch-up matches as well. So it really is a catch-22 as well, but... Yeah, there's not much really more you can say about that game other than it was a necessary three points, Adam. It was. It was. Um, no, I think it was. It was. Mu- we're getting a must-win status at least, at least for this part of the season. Like, uh, it's certainly there's still enough games in the season while we think we, it's a evolving situation. But uh, <laughs> as far as yeah, you know, the the length and breadth of the season, but. They they need that win. I think they I think they're the last club to actually pick up their their maiden win of um of the campaign. So now that they've took that off. Now it's a case of consolidating. And uh, look, they they hadn't been too bad up to that point. Like a, a very good draw against Sydney uh, into that win in Perth at that stage of the timeline. Um, yeah, things were looking up for the Raw. And Scott, we do have some audio from uh, Warren Moon. Did you want to throw to that? Yeah, we. Um... Louis Bala made his um, first start up here in Queensland. I asked him about the idea. Was it, was it more... The question was, was it necessity that saw that or was it something he'd seen in training? And this was his response. I know it was out of necessity. We had no fit right back or available right back going into the cup game and, uh, and now it's about form. So, you know, who would have thought that we could uh, play right back in the A-League? You know, he was an outstanding midfielder for us in the NPL. He stepped in at right back and uh, it's his spot to lose now. And that was Warren Moon on the youngster Louis Zavala, who did have his deal upgraded to a senior contract. I can't remember if we mentioned that last week as well, but I don't think you'll find many people arguing with that right now. The only point I will make on Zabala is I really hope they do take him off Daniel Leck Lane and uh, play him in his preferred position before too long. But again, that's just me. Yeah, we. I think we do. It's like I say, he's performed admirably in that right back role. But as, as Warren said in that in that uh, clip, yeah, it's out of necessity rather than sort of you know being being uh, sort of chosen in that role. And yeah, look, we, we hope to see him you know play in that midfield at some point. Obviously, he's got a few a few players ahead of him in the packing order. But then again, you know former injury or form slump in that case for the people ahead of him, um, he might get an opportunity to uh, show us his wares in midfield where, look, we've seen him at um, raw youth level, you know, perform the MPL. So, so yeah, so let's, let's just hope that, you know, that's in the future. But he's, he's now a, uh, he's now signed his professional contract. So, you know, congratulations to him. For sure. And Adam, uh, you've got the 3-2-1 player of the year votes for the Perth game. I do. Um... I just realised we should probably get to that, otherwise I will forget it yep. if we're going to do them all at once. Yeah, no, that's right. Uh, three points to Scott Neville. I thought defensively he's every, he's been everywhere, and look, I think I think as well with obviously with Tom Aldred out, I think that he's taken on the seniority role in that back line along uh, alongside Kai Shaw, and he's really sort of been performing. Two points, Jay Shea. I thought he's been he's been uh, excellent. Now again, he's he's starting to show in the midfield, you know, some creativity, and one point for Macklin freak I thought he was he was excellent uh in goals when he was required there we go now unfortunately the rule couldn't uh consolidate on that win over Perth when they hosted Adelaide in what turned out to be a single header fixture at Morton Daly Stadium as they wound up going down to the Reds 3-1 and well it was spot duty for the Reds wasn't it Scott it was and again again they all started really well that first five minutes didn't they they got the early goal and they were on top in the game, they were creating opportunities. But yeah, there were a couple of penalties there for other than you might want to go through them, James, in a minute. But I thought they were pretty clear-cut decisions that were, well, I thought they were both penalties. So well, so for me, it was okay. But yeah, Adelaide, after that first five, ten minutes, they were the better side, let's be fair. And they deserved their win. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you can really argue that the Raw did look quite leggy in that game as well. And 
we will discuss... They were undermanned as well, we should mention yes. that. Well, and a lot we'll, of players out, particularly in the front third. We will get onto that in a second. But I just want to quickly uh, start on the um, two penalties. Because, well, Miliuznic did open the scoring in the second minute. And that was a very nice goal as well. But the first one, the Craig Goodwin uh, penalty, which came from someone's shot from outside the box. Ah, uh, Bernardo. Bernardo's shot. And it did strike the hand of Neville, I think it was. Scott Neville, yes. I, yeah, it, it's been a while. There have been, <laughs> been a few things since uh, that game on Sunday night. But, um, yeah, it struck the hand of Scott Neville. Watching it live from my seat in the stands, I'm sure you guys had the same view from uh, up in the media box. It struck the hand of Scott Neville, and my first thought was, well, that's definitely a handball. It's just where did it strike him? And we did actually... Well, you guys actually got some clarification on that rule because while Neville's feet were on the edge of the box, uh, it because the ball struck his hand, like, and his hand was over the line, is that why it was deemed to be a penalty? Yeah, it, it look, yeah. yeah, look, it, it, um, our first reaction was their penalty, and uh, the fact that it took VAR a couple of minutes to try and decide that, I think that was, I think at the end of the day, what they'll try and reconcile, where did the ball strike Neville's hand, and eventually, uh, look, uh, again, other than the usual gripe about VAR taking so long to decide that, and that, you know, trying to look for evidence, at the end of the day, it looked like a penalty, it looked like, you know, it was inside the box, and I have no issues on it, but it was, yeah. The the length of time it took and, and whatnot and the and the interruption of the game I thought was a bit excessive. That was the longest um VAR stopped we've had in a in a fair while, wasn't it? And it was it was very clear it was a handball, James, this was in the in the area or out of the area and it took him a couple of minutes to figure it out, but it's hard to argue the decision once you once you realise it was actually in the area, it's a pretty clear decision. Yeah, and I think that's probably and I think realistically the only complaint the Raw can have is just on the amount of time it took them to uh, reach that decision because, yeah, it it was a clear handball and since his arm was in the box, it just is the way the rule is written. So the complaining uh, then there was has a, letting, letting Bernardo run run pretty much unchecked across the uh, across the B uh, penalty box actually had that shot and put them in that position. That's the complaint they should be having. Yeah, it wasn't great defending from Brisbane, was it? But maybe they should just let Carl, Carl Viet run the VAR, James, because he was very, very quick to say that's a penalty. So, <laughs> yeah. I know there's, there's certain there's certain bias there from his point of view, saying he definitely wanted it to be given, but he was very, very quick mm. to be to be saying it was a penalty. Yeah, and I think that is one of the things where you can't necessarily just make a call off the first replay you see because of the camera angles and stuff and not to go all uh, Robbie Slater on Fox a few years ago trying to explain optics and physics and everything but uh, golden piece of television uh, that <laughs> yeah then came the second penalty uh, Stefan Mork converted that much to the chagrin of well pretty much everybody not named Stefan Mork and Carl Viet. Uh it was um, yeah a, another pretty cu- uh, clear cut penalty Adam I will admit I was coming back from getting my dinner I was literally walking back to my seat when the crowd around me got up and started yelling that that was um, bull dung yeah, uh, look, to be honest, uh, watch the replay. Look, it was soft, but there was contact. Um, yeah, you are going to always have a hard time, VAR, yeah, overturning that. There was enough evidence to suggest that there was contact. And, uh, oh, I can't remember who exactly uh, brought him down, Scott. If you can... I think it was Stein. Yeah, I think it was Stein. It was Stein who made the challenge. Yes. But it's one of those where if the penalty is given, VAR is not going to overturn it. If the, the referee waves play on, the VAR is not going to intervene and say that's a yeah. penalty. So it is one of those. It's a bit of a softer one, but the referee said it's a foul, James, and there was something. There was a little bit of contact there. There was. And then um, Adelaide took full advantage of the raw, um, you know, really pushing forward for an attack. We saw some aggressive substitutions from Warren Moon and it basically allowed Craig Goodwin acres of space to put the game to bed about five minutes from full time. And we will talk about Brisbane in a second, but I did just want to make special mention of Craig Goodwin. He was far and away the best player on the field for me on Sunday. Like, from either team, he was just insanely good running the uh, running the game, and it's no surprise to me that he's earned a Socceroos call-up. He loves playing against the Raw. Um, like I say, he just seems, he seems to have uh, grown, grown a leg when he, um, when he plays the Raw, and like I said, he actually looked like a player that... Um, 
it looks like a player that actually you know, deserves his national team call because he was far and away you now the best player on on the pitch on um, on Saturday night. I think it's seven goals now against Brisbane for Craig Goodwin. Yeah, go figure. So, um, any chance we could get Vietnam in orange jerseys and black shorts on uh, Thursday night? <laughs> it would be helpful, wouldn't it? <laughs> Muscle memory for Craig Goodwin. It could be a nice little hat-trick for him at Amy Park down there. Or play the game at uh, Suncorp Stadium or Morton Daly. Don't be <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yeah, right. Like they're coming north of the Tweed. Anyway... So there are a couple of things I do want to talk about uh, with the Raw, and we'll get on to the absences in a second, but I want—I firstly want to mention the fact that I actually thought Warren Moon nailed his selection based on the um, best available players, uh, in that you're missing Lascano, Denny's out injured, playing Jay O'Shea as essentially that false number nine role, that worked. That actually, like, I think was easily the most effective we've seen him uh, all season. And it has been a good season as a whole for Jay O'Shea. Uh, but I think that's got to be what's most frustrating is he got the tactics right. He, for the most part, got the player selections right. And it still wasn't enough. Like, what did you make of it, uh, Scott? The O'Shea and the Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that. I thought that actually that false nine tactic of... O'Shea and Akbari almost swapping who was going to be the player furthest forward in the middle was quite effective, actually, in the sense that when it was O'Shea, he was very creative in the fact that he was able to, to have those neat touches. And if he played in Miliuznic for a couple of opportunities, he did score one, but it could have been two or three for him on another night because he was he did play him through a couple of times. So I did think that was very, very effective. And given all the players who were unavailable for the rule, you mentioned it was uh, Lascano, Demi, Ivanovic and also Parsons would be your four nominal attacking players through the middle. They were all unavailable, so they had to do something. And I do think that as a makeshift idea, Jay actually was quite effective in the um, in that role. Yeah, the, he absolutely was. And I think that's like that to me shows that there's still something going on here with this squad. Now, look. They played uh, Henry Hoare, the goal scorer from the Perth game, as a right winger, and he was fine, but truth be told, I would have almost rather have seen Jez Lofthouse get a uh, run from the start. So you've got two proper attacking wide players, you know, and it may it may just be a case of Hoare has been slightly stronger or he may be in slightly better shape having cleared the uh, COVID protocols, but... I think there's a way forward with the, with that formation as well if they decide to deploy it once again because they've got the personnel to run it quite well. You obviously had Daly and uh, Steinman operating as essentially screening midfielders and wasn't a perfect game for either of them, let's be fair. But overall, there was um, yeah quite a lot to... If you are looking for silver linings, I think the fact that they were able to vary up their tactics, get a bit creative, and still create something, that was uh, that was something to at least come out of it as well. But before we go on to the unavailable players, I will quickly do the uh, three, two, ones for that game. Adam, can you just check and make sure that I've remembered this correctly? Three points, Scott Neville. Two points, Jay O'Shea. One point, Nikola Milayuznic. That is correct. Excellent. I'm not going senile. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so... I want to turn this now into the, like, bit more of a big picture discussion uh, on the Raw men's squad because, well, the women's game got postponed because of a COVID outbreak, so we're now going to uh, basically have to try and fill that space a little bit. So there were five players out injured, one with uh, COVID in the build-up to the game. I don't think they mentioned specifically who the player with COVID was, did uh, they? they did, actually. Um... Yeah, Warren mentioned it in the press conference. Okay. I just didn't want to... I didn't know if that was something that was mentioned behind the scenes. Um, so, yeah, Nick Olsen was the one who, I think, by the sounds of it, was a very, very late call-up, and it resulted in Sam Klein getting his debut wearing kit number 57, which appears to be the break glass in case of emergency kit, Scott. It is. Another young player getting his chance out of the academy. He's a very good, talented young midfielder. I'm not sure he's quite ready for the A-League yet, but the experience that he will have gained being involved in the match they scored is something he will hopefully be able to take with him into the NPL season and hopefully his career going forward but I it, it probably was almost as if he was the 
the last man out of it, but he did okay when he came on, didn't he? It was, it was only a, it was a five-minute spell when the game was over, but he did okay. Yeah, and again, it is going to probably be the story of not just the Raw season, so it's not really an excuse for them compared to, you know, what's going on with several other clubs, especially Perth. But you look at it and go, this it feels like this season is going to be defined now by the fact that they have a they had a best eleven in mind, and they just haven't been able to field it. Whether it's through injuries, COVID, anything else, that has been the biggest issue for them so far, Adam. Yeah, I think so. It's just a season full of disruptions, and look, that's not just the raw. That's that's across the league, bar, barring a couple of clubs. Um, which is the question I posed to um, to Carl Veard about how important it is at the moment for them, where Adelaide have been virtually unaffected so far, and. Uh, and yeah, and like I said, it is it is a season of interruptions, and who can weather it at, at the timing? So that's why I think that at the end of the day, while points are going to be a premium at the moment, but it's still plenty enough for the season where if they can get on a solid run, he'll be a solid form. But you know, I think any club, I think it's you know from top to bottom, I think you know can still be a factor. But um, but yeah, I think for the raw, it has been what can go wrong has gone wrong for them this season so far, and I think it, it's it's just a case of you know getting past that and then sort of, you know, refocusing. Uh, like I said, that you're right. I think we thought that their, their best 11 would have been, you know, good enough to compete with pretty much anyone. But, you know, the depth is now starting to really sort of, you know, be exposed. And unfortunately, there, there isn't too much other than relying on um, young players, you know, stepping up well beyond their, their um, current career path. Yeah, it is a bit of a Dallas Cowboys, isn't it, Jason? What can go wrong, will go wrong. But if you look at who is unavailable, there's five players at the injury, as you mentioned. It leaves the squad, actually. If you include the two young guys who are involved on the Mate squad from Sunday, Zabala and Klein, 17 players. Yeah. So they are very much down to the bare bones, and it's almost a bit like a couple of years ago where they were reaching into the youth team to find players, but that was a youth team which had just won the NYL over the summer and we're playing regularly and we're in some good confidence and form. So, I mean, it's good to see the young players get a chance, but they haven't been... I mean, Sam Klein's last competitive game was the MPL semi-final back in September, October? No. Uh, August? Late October. November, whatever it was. Well, it, was, it, was a, it was a semi-final of the MPL. So and he only lasted it's a bit 25 different. minutes as well. He did too, but it's always very different compared to three years ago, the last one they did, when they brought three players like the Isaac Powell's the Daniel Lex, the Zach Duncans, etc., who had been playing a full, a full MYL over the summer, which they were able to win straight into an MPL season. It's a bit different situation this time. It doesn't mean that the players aren't good enough, James. They certainly are very good young players. It's a different situation, calling them in almost from the cold instead of playing regularly like they've been doing three years prior when they last did this. Yeah, and just on that as well, like looking at what we thought was the Raw's best eleven as the um when the season started, you look at the guys who they've played. So, uh, played on Sunday. You got Macklin Freak. He was, uh, he would have been at the very least a 50 50 shot to be the starting goalkeeper. So, yeah. Uh, Jack Hingett, Scott Neville, and Kai Truen all would have been seen as first choice, uh, first team players. Maybe Truen or Neville gets thrown to the bench to uh, deputise for Tom Aldred, who hasn't played a minute um, in the league this season. And Josh Brindle South, who would have been a third choice fullback behind Hingett and Brown. Midfield, Steinman, I think he was brought in to be a starting calibre uh, central midfielder, even though Scott's not his biggest fan so far. Sorry, Scott, for throwing you under the bus Thanks there. Thanks, Thank <laughs> you for that. Uh, Jesse Daly, and one of Jesse Daly and Ramadak Bari was going to be in there as well. And then Nicola Miliusnic and Jay O'Shea. So you're looking at four. four spots where you've had to fill the holes with backup players. It's it's not the worst situation to find yourself in, but it's when you're continually having to fill four spots, and it's four different spots week after week after week. That, I think, is where you wind up, you know, really losing the, um, losing the battle when it comes to fielding a competitive team. This is, of course, the January transfer window, though, and... Um, Warren Moon was asked about the possibility of bringing in replacements in this transfer window. And this is what he had to say on that. Um, look, that's a the discussion with the club. And at this stage, um, I'm not sure what our position is as a club in regards to bringing players in. 
And that was what Warren Moon had to say about bringing in uh, reinforcements in the January transfer window. Scott, if you were in a position to bring in a player, where would you do it? Uh, I would be looking for someone in that front third at the moment. Given there's four players unavailable and the Roar has struggled to score goals, although it's gotten better in the last couple of weeks, that would be where I'd be going. Can I backtrack quickly to clarify what I was saying about the youth? It's not that the players aren't good players now, it's that they haven't been playing as much yes. as they were back then. That's what, that's what I was trying to... I don't know if that came across clearly or not the first time, but that's what I was trying to make. And, but back to the thing about the transfers, a player in the front third is what they need. That's what If they can bring in only one player, that's what they need. We went through it a couple of weeks ago. Would you bring in a player in this position? I think across the board we said yes to almost all positions other than goalkeeper and fullback. But if it's only one player they can bring in, which it probably is, it's got to be in the front third, James. Someone who can make the difference and spark things over the second half of the year. And on that as well, just with the players who are actually out injured, you look at um, Luke Ivanovic, who did a quad injury, I think, on Wednesday night, yeah. was it? Yeah, yeah. Luke Ivanovic did a quad injury against Sydney, sorry. Uh, Tom Aldred, he hasn't played a minute this season, and at this point, I feel like it's fair to question when we will be seeing him. At what point do you start to think maybe the Raw might have to look at bringing in a player, even on an injury replacement contract? You do need bodies, and I think what frustrates all of us the most, and we'll go to you on this, Adam, is the fact that they've basically, uh, they've basically let quite a few of the players from that youth squad go when... Right now, you probably could use them just for healthy bodies. Yeah, look, I don't necessarily agree about as far as the youth go, because I think you've really gotten to the bottom of where of, of players that are good enough to actually feature an A-League game. Like, we always thought that Osiris Demi, uh, Alex Parsons, Eli Adams at the moment is actually out on trial in Europe at the moment. We thought those players, you know, that those prospects were, you know what, you want to see them at, at in the A-League at some point. But now when we say, and even Louis Zabala as well, who, who I thought probably had one more season uh, in MPL a full season for making a step, but he's obviously uh, stepped up. But when you turn and look like at players like a, um, a Sam Klein, for example, you start seeing saying, you know, maybe it's too soon. And, and I, I get what Scott says that, you know, look, they're, they're, they're prospects. They wouldn't be at the academy if they weren't. But again, you don't want to be rushing players up to, um, to uh, into the side. So I think from, from that point of view, I think. It's a case of you know I think they've actually pretty much tapped out that that sort of that resource and then, then now you start you're actually potentially risking you know sort of disheartening kids you know, in a in a crisis situation by bringing them up too earlier than they should have. There is an argument for it actually to be fair. I'm saying I mean I do agree. I mean the players that have the ones you mentioned they were the ones you would look at the players who were close. You would say players like Hassan Ramazani who was involved in the match day squad. I think he made his debut actually didn't he? at the back end of one of the games last year. So players like that who were pretty sure would let go over the off-season, you would have thought would be players that maybe if they kept them around for the for the season, would be involved in the match day squads in the A-League now, would probably be in a good position to contribute. So that's, I think, what... That's a good point that you make. Yeah. About that probably have yeah. reached the, the limit of players who are ready and now you're picking on potential going forward. Yeah, and that's also where you hope that... Like, they've got a full squad, or near enough to a full squad to call on. They just need them all to be healthy and available. I was just having a quick look at some of the stats as well. Can either of you name the four... Excuse me, the four raw players who have uh, played every single senior minute for the side in the A-League men's this season? Oh, Macklin Freak could be one. Yep. Freak, Neville, Osh- No, O'Shea came off the bench in one game. Or did he play every game? Is he one of them? Yep. O'Shea, okay. Who's the fourth? It's not Truen, is it? Yeah, it is. Okay. Those have been unbelievable at the back, by the way. Kai Truen yeah. and Scott Neville. If, if not for those two at the back, the Roar would be in a much better situation. Those two, without with the absence of Tom Alder, have really stepped up. Scott Neville has become a real genuine leader in that back line. And Kai Truen has gone from that young player with potential to he's a bona fide starter in this league. So those two have done 
exceptionally yeah, well. Yeah, look, just, just to yeah. touch on uh, Scott's point as well, that, that's why I wouldn't have said... Uh, that's why I'm saying that probably some help in the front third is probably more of a priority if you're picking one player as far as reinforcements. Because of the job that Scott Neville and uh, Kai Truen have done at, in the hard defence, it probably then allows the Raw to allow Tom Aldred to take as much time as he needs uh, to, to get healthy and get those hamstrings right. Because, uh, look, a player his age, um, with, now with, with sort of you know, hamstring issues, you really don't want to put in a situation where you bring him back too early and then for him to miss more time because he, he re-injures it. So I think having, well, as long as Scott Neville and Kai Truen are holding the fort, um, that allows Tom Aldred to, you know, to complete his rehab to a certain point where he is genuinely 100% to come back and then we can get some minutes out of him maybe back into the season. And just on that as well, like, it might be deemed a bit of a defeatist attitude, but I think it's fair to say the Roar aren't going to be winning any uh, trophies in the A-League men's competition this season. Aldred, I'm pretty sure, is under contract for at least another year, if not two after this one. Uh, is there something to be said where you say, look, or is there a point you reach where you just go, look, it's not happening this year? Do you just say, look, we're going to shut you down, Get yourself right for September, October, whenever, you know, we're going to start playing preseason matches in the build-up to the 2022-23 season. Because we've got two guys right now in Neville and Truen who, as a combination, I think are working as well as, you know, just about any centre-back pairing in the league at the moment. Unfortunately, they're just not getting the support from around them. Well, those two are playing this well, James. It's a very valid point that there's no need to rush Tom Aldred back in any way because those two, as we said, have been great. So let Tom Aldred take whatever time is required. If it takes until September to get them right, then that's unfortunate. But if that's what it takes to get it right, then if you have got Neville and True and playing well, you're not sure... They're not struggling at central centre-back given those two performances. So those have to stay fit as well because after that, I'm not sure who comes in. But, oh, Milnarich as well. With, Mil- with Milnarich, he's done quite well as well. So the three of those players when they've played, have been pretty good. So if you've got those three available, you don't need to rush back Tom Aldred. If Milnarich is leaving, if this loan spell is going to end anytime soon, they may need to consider either bringing somebody in or trying to get Tom Aldred to fit quicker than otherwise. Yeah. But that does also go back to just the overall issues we've been talking about is just, what is this club trying to do from in terms of building a squad? I, I think... Like, they've made it pretty clear they're, you know, promoting Queensland talent first, and that's fine. You know, bring in the likes of Alex Parsons, uh, Louis Zabala, Henry Hoare, Cyrus Demi, Eli Adams, if he's, you know, able to get back in the country or just decides to stay in Europe. Whatever. Bringing in those players is fine, but you still need to surround them with capable, you know, mature senior players. And that, I feel like, is where that strategy really has been let down as well, where, you know, Lascano was supposed to be leading the line. We've seen him for... Hang on, let me actually just look this up, how many minutes. We've seen Lascano for... Two four, starts and two off the bench, isn't it? 200... Well, according to footballreference.com, 260 minutes this season, out of a possible 630. So, so that's, that's 33%, basically, of the season. Yeah. And he would he was supposed to provide that target man outlet... Now, you know, it's injuries. I'm not going to blame the guy for getting injured and whatnot. It is just how it's unfolded, you know. But his contributions to the team because of those injuries haven't been at the level people would expect them to be. Jay O'Shea, I think, is, you know, I think if not the runaway player of the season, then definitely uh, part of a two-horse race. He's there with the central defenders, isn't he? Yeah, that's it. You, but then you also look at, you know, Matty Steinman, who just hasn't quite delivered in the way that we would have hoped him to. Um, and you look at some of the other players as well, and it just hasn't hasn't quite clicked, has it? And that, I think, is where we keep looking at it and going, I really do think that's where they need to try and fill that uh, void as it stands. It is, it is and, that, and that's, I think, it's where the issue sort of, you know, it, where, where it sort of takes on a life of its own, where... It's a case of, look, you can back this whole and the whole Queensland first, giving Queensland products opportunities. 
But that also only works as long as you have the good faith of the fans. And look, the fans, especially in this at this club and in this state, I think that given that they, that you know they, they were used to success in the past, I don't know how much longer that they can actually maintain the whole. Oh, keep the faith in. Oh, we're just going to produce Queensland Tar and we're going to. Um, bring them through, and eventually, in you know, three or four years, they'll be fine. I think. I think now is a time where it's almost like, how much more can the fans, you know, stand this rebuild? That you know, there has there has to be progress, and I think it's a case of we've said this, we've said this, you know, in previous campaigns as well. A rebuild is only as good as the as long as the patience of the fans are going to have, and I think that that patience, you know, in some quarters, is starting to run out. And seen other clubs, James, have gone through rebuilds and they've done it much quicker. Yeah. Including Melbourne Victory, for example. They, they went through a big rebuild in the last 12, 18 months. Okay, they had a they had two rough seasons in a row, but they then they basically rebuilt in the off season and they've gone quite well. So you can't do it. Brisbane did it actually back in 2018, 19, when they missed the finals. Yeah. They brought in a new manager. They brought in a whole new squad and they made the finals. So you can rebuild quite quickly in the alley, but it's it's a recruit. It still it has been, and it still remains to be. It's a recruitment league. You've got to bring in the right players to to fit the way you want to play, and it's all got to gel. And for the raw so far, it hasn't quite gelled. Yeah, and Scott, you've seen some uh, fan sentiment that hasn't quite that is starting to consider action. Yes, I've seen some stuff about some protests. I'll tell you first. I'll tell you what I don't want to see, James. Then I might give you a little bit of a blueprint on what might be a more realistic way to get an actual response of value. What I don't want to see is I don't want to see a hundred battery out signs in the den and around the stadium on Saturday. Because that's cause that's completely pointless. That's not going to achieve it might be it might send a message that people aren't happy, but it's not going to get the response that you want. So I'll go back to an example. Remember the, the um that short lived wonderful competition the Super League, James? Yeah. <laughs> that wonderful competition. I think we went on about a fifteen minute rant that competition about about this time last year. I think year. our well, rant lasted uh, longer than the competition itself. It probably did, because it was a wonderful competition, and I, I remember every single game of it. But on the back of that, there was some big protests in the UK, particularly involving my club, Manchester United, who have owners who are also unpopular. Um, they're not identical, but they are unpopular, and there were big protests. And everyone remembers the stuff about the play, the fans invading the pitch and the 10,000 people outside, but what they may not remember is that there was some very well-articulated statements from a supporters' trust, making a public statement, a public letter to the Manchester United owners, demanding certain actions and a response from them, and they actually got it for the first time since they bought the club. They actually got a response out of that ownership group, which was a miracle in and of itself. And they they weren't demanding things, James, like spend, buy this player and sack this coach and do all this. And they asked for very realistic things, things like slightly more investment in and around the club as a whole. Things like renovating the stadium at Old Trafford and a fan ownership model. And they actually started to get some of those things happening. Now, not everything is perfect at Manchester United. Far from it, given what's happened this season, because they've changed management where they find themselves. But in that moment, they were actually able to get a response and get some dialogue with the ownership group. And if if the Brisbane Raw fan base want to get some sort of dialogue with the Bakery ownership group, that would be the way to go about it. A well crafted, well-articulated letter to the ownership group outlining what the problems are in the in the fans' opinion and the sorts of things that they would like to see them address other than th- that might get something. 10,000 signs saying Bakery's out is going to achieve nothing, James. And I think also to, to uh, carry on on Scott's point is that I think it comes down to as well that you can't take it out on the players and you can't take it out on the current administration. That's you know, be it David Pure, you know, Shane Stefanio, the the, the um, football director, you know, even even Warren Warren Moon as coach. They're not the ones that deserve it. it, it this is, this has to be something that's been nuanced. It has to, like I said, I agree with Scott Scott on that. That you know what, if I see if I see you know a heap of back out signs, you know what, I you know what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, you know what, this is not serious, because. If, say, for example, you had a magic genie and you wished for that, then what? And I've said this for years. I think at the end of the day, the the action at the moment needs to be, okay, what can the owners do that they should be doing 
under the license their obligations to make this club better. And I think that the points are starting to become very, very relevant. That it comes back to investment. And the investment in allowing the club to have the resources to be able to, not only from a on-field football department's perspective, to have more you know, freedom to be able to you know, recruit better players, you know, top up you know, salaries, you know, even attract, you know, I guess, let's call it a marquee signing, you know, almost. But also as well, allow the club administration to... Um, let the club administration have the resources so they can make some progress and make some inroads. Because at the moment, I think the Raw as a brand is probably at its lowest ever in a while. And the problem is, it's not the people that run the the the, the club in this city or in this state that's the problem. I think it, the problem is in Indonesia. And I think that the message needs to be loud and clear from all and sundry that we don't that we support the club, we support the the players. But the ownership needs to get off their asses and actually now start spending some dollars rather than treating it like a business transaction. Yeah, and just and following on from that as well, like, yeah, it's all it's the easy lazy option to just go and you know post batteries out or whatever. You need to you know, and that's what you see with a lot of things. Oh, great, sign a change.org petition that. I'd say 99.98% of them make absolutely zero difference to the cause that they're actually trying to promote, whether it's, you know, funding something or, you know, overturning the result of a, you know, sporting event or something. That's lazy. Actually do something. And this is something that, you know, you'd hope that the Royal Supporters Federation might be listening to the um, opinions on and say, all right, what do we actually want from these owners? And as you just said, Adam... Okay, great. If the Backrys sell the club, who are they selling it to? And how can you guarantee that it's not going to be the exact same story? Because let's be honest, owning just about any sporting club in Australia or a football club around the world is a labor of love. You know, how do you turn $100 million into $10 million? Buy a sporting team. And, you know, this is where... I suppose the disheartening part for us is seeing that, you know, there is allegedly moves being made over in uh, the UK by the one of the backeries to try and get Oxford, I think the club that they own, a new uh, facility. And above all else, that is what this club needs. They need a home. They need a training and operation space. And they need they need a ground. Morton Daly Stadium is, you know, a really nice spot to play. Suncorp was a great spot to play when you were getting at least 20,000 to a game. I can't remember the last time the Raw managed 20,000 to a game. And... Uh, that, well, when Alexandre Del Piero made his debut at at Suncorp same against against the Royal, that, no, it would have been one of the oh, finals, I'm, one I'm, of the elimination finals. Oh, but. like so, I'm, I'm not talking about finals because that because the club doesn't profit from that. That's the the that's yep. football straight. But I'm saying uh, the last regular season game where they had twenty thousand was uh, when Alexandre Del Piero was in town. Okay, so that's First what I mean. Like, yeah, and I honestly feel like if you give the club a home, you know, maybe they, you know, start playing games out of the redeveloped Ballymore or something in the meantime to give them, you know, a presence in Brisbane, which I don't think is as big of a deal as some. I honestly feel like that's got to be the first and foremost thing that they need to ask for because it might free up some money then if you're not paying rent to, you know, the Gold Coast Sports and Leisure Centre for your transport costs. If you've got your own stadium, you're then suddenly you know, able to start hosting events. You might be able to, I don't know, work with Football Queensland, who, you know, you allegedly have a really good relationship with. So why not, you know, try and get a stadium where you can host the NPL finals every year? Yeah. Yeah. Might talk about that more a bit later on, but what I would say to people is, if, if obviously everyone's very fussed over the situation at the moment and with the ownership group. If you could speak to them, and you could say one or two things that this club needs to do. What are those things? Yeah. What are the things that it actually the club needs that they can actually realistically action and deliver? Yeah. Like I said, that's I'm, what I would encourage people to think about because that's the sort of stuff that you would, if well articulated and well thought out, could make a difference. And go back and listen to the comments from um, Warren Moon in the preseason talking about how they know they're not the biggest spending. Uh, club in the competition i'm now reading that as basically just saying look don't blame don't blame us we're operating with one if not two hands tied behind our back here when it comes to a budget 
Yeah, no, I was just going to say just about, you know, realistic expectations. And I'm not saying, like I said, realistic, what is not realistic is a, you know, a, a marquee signing like, you know, someone, I'm just trying to think of, you know... Daniel Sturridge. No, no, well, that is realistic. But a play, like I said, you know, a, a player that is playing regularly in Europe at the moment. Because they're not going to be a game changer. Because then you've got to have players around them to support that said player. That's I'm talking about Alessandro Del Piero before. That's what took Sydney a long time to figure out. That while he was drawing the crowds, the side wasn't going so well because he was just so far ahead of events. So a, a realistic player that is actually that is well known, but is not so popular and so light years that you know they're they're basically on God stars. The other one, the other unrealistic expectation that most people seem to have on their wish list is a brand new stadium. A that's not gonna happen overnight. And B, that's not something that the backries can control. That's something that's a multi agency a long term deal to um to deliver. But there are certain things and, and we we talked about it before about what can be delivered realistically and it's, it's all about, you know, that nuanced response. You know, that we're not trying to overthrow the, the current ownership group, but, you know, but we also need to, you know, can't just sit here and say, oh, we're just happy with the situation, because it's quite clear that, you know, from knowing from people in the football community that have got vocal voices, but I think it's also quite clear from the, from the attendances or lack thereof and the lack of engagement with the club that things are not good. And the only and the only way that the backwards Indonesia are going to find out is if we actually speak up and say something, but say something that is actually meaningful and that's not you know so radical that it's it's passed off as a joke. Yeah, but that's also where you know you talk about the need for a stadium. It doesn't have to be a big, you know, thirty thousand, you know, home of football kind of. You don't need to basically lift Seabus Stadium and you know transplant it to. Um, East Rugby League Club at Cooparoo or something. There are other ways around it. Maybe you build a stadium that has a capacity of 9,000. Maybe you build one that has a like in that range. So, you know what? You can play 10 of your however many home games there every year, plus the, you know, A-League women and, you know, RIP to the Youth League. But you can play all your matches there, plus your NPL home matches. Because, Scott, where are the Raw's NPL side playing their NPL uh, home matches this year? They've got a home ground this year. That's in Underwood Park. So I get your point. That would be, And you could also use it to host NPL matches and also FFA Cup matches as well. So it would certainly have some value. But what I would say about the stadium, Adam said it's not deliverable. I tend to agree, but... And it's a multi-agency thing you said. I agree with that. But what have they actually said publicly about this in 15 years? Other than when they first came here on that infamous interview on SBS on the field at Suncourt Stadium, they said, what did you want to deliver in the first 10 years? And it was, we would like to see Brisbane playing in their own stadium. That's the only time it's ever come up from them. And it, nothing has happened, obviously. So I would like to see, if, if it is something that they genuinely want, they've got to actually put the foot forward to make it happen. And they've probably missed the window, which we'll talk about later on with the Socceroos and the World Cup and all the rest of it. So, But it, it, if that's something they genuinely want, they that's what they would have to do. But again... Just think about what they can deliver right now. What are things they can implement right now that would make a difference? Yeah, exactly. And I think it needs Because there's plenty of things they could do, let's be honest. Yeah, I know. But but that is why I keep saying giving them a home has to be first and foremost... Like, first and foremost on the to-do list. Because, again, for me, that will open up a whole lot of other avenues when it comes to, you know, recruitment and just all this other stuff as well. So anyway, we could keep going about this for quite a while, but we do need to uh, wrap things up sooner rather than later. And we'll quickly touch on the Matildas who are currently uh, put outscoring several um, other professional sports teams as well. Um, and talk about how, yeah, they're just absolutely cruising through the Asian cup. We'll, we'll discuss them in a bit more detail next week. I think Scott. Yeah. I was going to come on here and go on about what's the decision right to play the young, not play the young players in the first game, but we probably don't have the time for that. Ooh, yeah. the fate. I, will say, <laughs> I will say they've done quite well in these first two games, and I will say Philippines actually were very, very competitive in that second game, and they look like they've found a couple of very good players, so potentially a, a, a force to be reckoned with in future years, but all going very well for the Matildas early on in the group stage. Yes, and um, we'll quickly uh, touch on the games coming up this weekend. We, at the time of recording, 
have a uh, double header coming your way on Saturday at Morton Daly Stadium, starting with the women up against Melbourne City. They'll be back after a week off. Adam, what are you looking for from the Raw in this game? Well, the Raw need to win, but uh, this is a very... Not exactly very, easy. Yeah, this is, this is a very tough <laughs> matchup against um, Melbourne City side who are, yeah, who are going pretty well at, at the moment. Um, and, and yeah, look, they're going to have to be at their best and hope that you know, Melbourne City... You know, sort of, you know, struggle for whatever reason. It's gonna, it's gonna be a tough one for, for Gareth McPherson's team, especially. We, we're not too sure who's available, who's not after this COVID outbreak within the playing, within the playing group, which is something I want to bring up. But we can have to defer that to, uh, to a future show. Um, but, but yeah, uh, gonna be tough uh, against Melbourne City. But so look, maybe, maybe a draw. Scott. They are missing Holly McManara, Melbourne City, but I do think that they are a very, very well-oiled machine down there, pardon the pun, but I do think that they are a very good side, and it'll be tough for Brisbane, given the Adams to the point the COVID interruption, so they need a win, but I think if they get a point in this game, they would probably be relatively pleased with that. It is what makes previewing these games so hard, because so much can change between now and Saturday. And that's where we just keep looking at and going... Yeah, and not knowing how many of the players have been affected and to what extent... It does make it very, very difficult in this particular case, doesn't it? It certainly does. All right. Um, then the men will be in action. 6.45pm Queensland time kickoff. The women are at four. Uh, they're playing Western Sydney, and we w- we're hoping for a response from the side. We might see a few more players back in action um, heading into this match as well. And, Scott, it does seem like they're possibly poised to take advantage of the Wanderers here. Well, we'll have to wait and see if any of the players are back because Warren Moon wasn't too optimistic about that in his press conference on Sunday night. But the Wanderers, to your point, they haven't played in a while, have they? So it's a bit like the Perth Glory situation once again where they're coming in without having played. So will they be fresh and ready to go or will they be heavy-legged in the, in the, um, in the, on a hopefully a warm, hot, warm, humid summer's night in Queensland Will they run out of legs? I'll have to wait and see. I tend to think that it's more likely to be the latter, which gives Brisbane a good opportunity if they can take advantage of it. Oh, excuse me. Sorry, uh, just on hot and humid. Forecast for Sunday, 31 degrees, shower or two. So I would assume that that sea breeze probably isn't going to be doing too much for them as well. And on the Wanderers, they played one game since the 18th of December. That was that 3-3 draw against Melbourne City. Yeah, so that's that. They're now three or four weeks out of game. It's yeah, I agree, with Scott. So it could be a similar scenario to Perth Glory, where they're they're the first game in a while, and uh, and yeah, like I said, we just do not know what they're gonna, what they're incapable, what they've been doing as far as fitness, all that. What who is even a, who you'd assume that they have most of their players back available. Um, all being equal, this will be a very tight game. I think both sides are mapping similarly. I think um, Carl Robinson is under pressure at the moment, uh, well, based on results. But I think also as well, I think he may have a couple of excuses, uh, with especially just coming back after such a long break. So, yeah, this is, this this could go either way. But I think the Raw can win on on Saturday only because they they've been playing um, and the Wanderers have not. Yep. All right, we're going to have to wrap up our, this part of the Brisbane Football Review podcast here because we've got the Queensland Socceroos fans waiting for us to discuss the upcoming national team games. So we'll leave the raw discussion there and be back after this to discuss the Socceroos. Actually, slight change in plans. We had so much fun with the Queensland Socceroos guys. They're going to get their own podcast, so that'll be out Thursday morning before the Vietnam game. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you later.